I'm Joyce Hornady. You might say accuracy is my business. I make bullets. You are listening to the Hornady Podcast. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Hornady Podcast. Thanks for tuning in on this episode. We've got a good one for you. Got a full table across the table. Engineer Ryan Damon, marketeer Preston Lentfer, and then to my right, fellow marketeer Judd Jerzinka. Guys, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Happy to be here. Now, in it's truly a pleasure. It, it really, really is. is. It is. Yep. I enjoy fun, it. Fun talking with you guys. We need to get more Judd's voice on here. <laughs> That's Listeners right. Listeners love no. it. No. Come <laughs> around in here. So, I say, uh, you know, we're joking around, obviously, but in keeping with the general tone of every podcast we've recorded for the last five weeks, it's hunting season, it's electric, everybody's excited, and we're getting, you know, the opportunity now, it's mid-September, so there's some hunts that have happened, there's some hunts that are ongoing, there's some hunts that are, you know, days away from starting, and, uh, we're all just excited talking about it. And, you know, we were kind of just talking about this topic amongst ourselves and it seemed like a good topic for a podcast. So today I got you guys here to talk about muzzle loaders. Now, muzzle loaders as a whole, a lot of people have a lot of different opinions on on what they like and what works for them. And there's a lot of nuance to it. You know, it's not as simple as buy a box of ammo, buy a rifle, close the bolt and send it. You know, there's a lot more to it. Uh, for a lot of folks. And for some folks, that can be really intimidating. And for some, it's, you know, really simple, depending on how deep down the rabbit hole you go. Now, what I'd like to focus on is kind of our specialty in the world of muzzle loading, which is what I'm going to call modern inline muzzle loaders. You know, that, uh, that platform, several decades old now, but uh, the accuracy that that platform brought to the muscle loading community was just amazing. You get more consistency, better ignition, better accuracy, you know, you can extend the range a little bit. Um, that world has really opened up a lot of things in muzzle loading. And for a lot of the product life of, of existing muzzle loading bullets, you had a lot of companies, ourselves included, we have a certain projectile and you can use that bullet for a lot of things. And when you put it into a sabot, possibilities are endless. Well, here recently, Ryan has undergone this, this big pursuit of accuracy in a muzzle-loading bullet, and we got the Boardriver FTX. And uh, not that any other sabotaged projectile is, is necessarily bad, but that Boardriver is just phenomenally accurate. And uh, I just want to bounce around the table here, talk about your experiences. Uh, when you got into muzzle-loading, what, what are some of the, you know, the small idiosyncrasies that you do with your system? So... With that really long introduction, who wants to kick this off and talk muzzleloaders? I'll go back a little bit further, sorry, than, than you anticipated, but my first muzzleloader experience is with uh, a percussion cap uh, muzzleloader. So nice. still still modern, uh, polymer stock, uh, pain in the butt to get that breech system out of there, uh, had specialty tools and all, all of that jazz, and not the most reliable ignition. Mm-hmm. Of course, I was learning from somebody that learned for himself too. So, and my father, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of experience muzzle loading. Um, loose powder there, uh, an actual black powder pyrodex of some kind. I can't yeah, remember specifically. Um, and then we tried round balls, we tried conicals, uh, some sabotaged bullets, I think, were thrown in there. And, and believe it or not, 
I had a muzzleloader tag when I was a young kid and finished a deer off that somebody had gut shot with it. And that's my one experience with it. But I know that my brother had plenty of opportunities at what he called the biggest deer he's ever seen in his life. And mm-hmm. of course, consequently, they just keep getting bigger and bigger, evidently, uh, where the gun misfired. And oh. so as soon when I got to college, uh, you and I both know we played football, couldn't really hunt the rifle season well or as much as we wanted to so my freshman year in college i got uh an inline muzzleloader traditions and this is before the quick breach so i still had a tool but it's super easy to get out in and out um back then i was shooting 150 grains of pellets because it said i could although there was some contradicting information uh where 100 was the max charge weight that i should and then i also found where it was 150 so 150 it is <laughs> with a 250 grain sst from hornady and uh killed a couple deer with it out uh, long shot was 160 yards with it at the time it's fine muzzleloader yeah it, it never still, lets you down still shoots great mm-hmm. a couple of years ago Jaden quinlan uh has been on the podcast quinlan's corner uh <laughs> shot a doe at 200 yards mm-hmm. with that muzzleloader off of a tripod no less um but yeah i i I dig it. Uh, never really understood, like, try these different cleaning practices to see what your muzzleloader likes best until I was much, much, much older. Had no idea. I would make sure it was sighted in and clean it at the end of the season, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, I can speak to that. It took me one muzzleloader to get it figured out. <laughs> now I'm on my second muzzle loader cuz turns out if you shoot pyrodex, you got to clean those. <laughs> yeah. Oh so, yeah, I've got uh, I got an old one still at home that look through the bore looks like a kaleidoscope when you spin the bore scope cuz yeah. it's pitted and yeah. rusted in different colors. Well, mine yeah. does kind of look like that, but it still shoots all right. That's funny. Um, it took me one muzzle loader <laughs> to learn how to clean it. Luckily, yeah. they're they can be inexpensive. They're getting more and more expensive, but you know, some of them like to be perfectly clean. Some of them you want to shoot a uh, 209 primer in there and foul it up once. Some of them you want a, a whole shot on. Some of them you want to shoot and then brush but no solvent. There's just so many wild things, and I'm sure somebody knows more than I do about that stuff. I guarantee it. Maybe, Ryan, you can Well, I can speak theory, to it but. just from my experience of doing the board driver uh, development and testing a bunch of other bullets and then our bullets and prototypes of the different skirt piece we have on the back in the early stages of that. And because before that, my muzzleloading experience was slim. I mean, coming from back in Ohio, we hunted with muzzleloader, and so I was exposed to it a little bit, but not, you didn't shoot it much mm-hmm. once a year. Uh, if, and then if you get lucky enough to shoot a deer. but So I shot a lot in a short amount of time during the development of this new product, and I've learned some things, some stuff that works better, some stuff that doesn't work. Uh, so we can talk about that kind of stuff. Like, generally speaking, I have rules of thumb I like to stick to: loose powder, not pellets. Uh, yeah, I, w- I will say I when Blackhorn when I became aware of Blackhorn two hundred nine, I I do use that now, uh, weighed by weight, just because of OCD. Yeah, so, yeah. so we'll go down that road. Uh, I have some strong opinions on that since we were talking about the other day. Talking about that the other day. Uh, so when you're talking about in the other episode about what we do to get our hunting rifles ready for the mm-hmm. season and you hand load pretty much you, any deer or big game animal if you've killed, you've hand loaded that ammo. You're not guessing that charge weight. You're not, 
you're weighing every charge, you know what you're doing. It's a precision process, right? So my argument is why would, if you're trying to make that happen in any weapon you're going to use to pursue a big game animal, I want to know I have a consistent muzzle velocity. I know I have a consistent point of impact. And the best way to do that is measure every powder charge you're going to put into that gun. By weight. By weight. Because volume, you can get tubes, you can, volume is so much less precise than weighing it to a tenth of a grain on a precision scale. Absolutely. Especially something where it's low volume, might as well do it. Like right. if, if you're loading up 250 rounds for a match, right. sure, maybe volume makes sense, you know, in a centerfire cartridge. But muzzleloader takes so long to shoot, you're not shooting a whole lot anyway. Just today, I reloaded my Blackhorn 209 tubes because uh, I need more to keep doing some other testing in the, at, at the lab. Ten charges, weighed to the tenth of a grain, took me six minutes. Um, didn't he, I just out of the out of the powder commercial tub too? Like I didn't mm-hmm. want to put it into some trickler or anything. So like yeah, just throw ten ten charges. It does not take very long. No, it takes you way longer than that to shoot ten shots. Yeah. Yeah, you probably, if you did it volumetrically, you'd probably only cut that by a few minutes. Yeah. So I want to sure. clarify the, the thought there. So you're saying if you're, if you're going to shoot black powder, shoot a granular propellant uh, because you can weigh it much more accurately. And so the argument against the pellet would be, one, uh, and mainly that they're less consistent from a weight standpoint, you know, from a convenience standpoint, man, they hit that out of the park. Sure. Dropping pellets in there, that is easy peasy. Sure. That's a great way to get into it. It really is, yeah. especially if you're, you know, shooting 80 yards or something like that. But we're trying to be precise. Those pellets, uh, you know, do they weigh the same or are there more variances there? Uh, yeah, I've, so those are compressed powder and I don't know the chemical composition, uh, um, but you'll see little nicks and chips off of the edges and uh, you can measure uh, 20, say a small sample size of 20, you measure a couple grains variation in, in weight and mass. It's like, well, that's not five to 10%. That is not, doesn't really scream precise. Right. And even if it does or doesn't make a difference, the fact that that's a variable that you don't have control over doesn't make a guy feel very good, especially for a couple minutes worth of your time to load up a season's worth of powder charges. And the, the weight, that's one, one variable there. Uh, the other is the benefit to loose powder over pellets is cleanliness. Mm, that's another and big one, as Judd pointed out forced earlier. Forced to reload. I mean, I could shoot in Blackhorn. Once a barrel's lived on Blackhorn until life, been shot Blackhorn, cleaned, Blackhorn, cleaned. It doesn't build up a bunch of fouling. You don't get a bunch of left-behind buildup in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and throughout all this board driver testing, I would shoot a bunch of consecutive shots without cleaning, because I had a bunch of different muzzleloaders shooting a bunch, testing different things side by side in different guns. And then you shoot a couple shots with pellets, and that those consecutive shots get increasingly dif- more difficult to load, regardless oh. of what projectile you're trying to shove down there, just because there's so much junk left behind in that barrel. Mm-hmm. So when you do go to clean it, it just it's more, more effort. It's more effort on your part to get that thing clean. I saw my, my buddy from high school, uh, his dad, took the old ramrod and put the, the copper brush on the end of it and chucked that up to a drill way back in the day when everybody was shooting pellets and that was his quick way of getting it cleaned. <clears throat> yeah. Barrel makers might cringe at that, but yep. it did work. And the distances we were shooting were essentially archery range. 
Well, in, yeah. in that, that vein of cleaning, to change gears a little bit, uh, like Preston mentioned, some muzzle loaders and some people may not have an impact on the actual muzzle loader, but some people have a lot of different practices on how they clean, what they clean with, and the interval in which they clean, because that can have a, a big impact. Like you mentioned, you got to get the bullet down the barrel. So there's a finite number of shots before you're not pushing a bullet down the barrel when you're using black powder, black powder suit powder substitutes. Even Blackhorn 209, which is, you know, heralded as one of the cleanest burning black powder substitutes out there, uh, you still, how many shots do you get before you got to clean? Depends on the muzzle order, but it's usually between 6 to 10, and that's all you're shooting, and yeah. you got to clean it out. And uh, what have you guys found that works for you? Uh, I know the muzzle loader has a little bit of a say in it, but some of it's more for our personal satisfaction. What do you guys do as far as cleaning goes? My preference is wet patches with some solvent, Blackhorn 209 solvent or wipeout, some solvent patches until those patches are clean. I don't like brushes. Maybe that's just uh, my mindset coming from cleaning rifles. Enough of guys that I trust that say don't put brushes in barrels, mm-hmm. abrasive brushes. Sure. Um, so yeah, I'll run patches until that patch does not come out black anymore. And then I'll run one more for good measure, and then a dry one. And if I'm going to put it up for a while, I put some type of bore, bore butter somewhere down the barrel. So you're all wet patches, no dry in between until the end. Mm-hmm. Mm. When I when I was doing pellets or, or substitutes besides the blackhorn, uh, pre you know pre pre starting with blackhorn. I would do the same thing, except I would use a brush because otherwise it, it take it takes a long time. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, nylon using, brush. No copper. Yep. Um, Brass. On on yeah on right on rifles I'll absolutely use nylon. Um, but you can ask all the barrels in the in the lab right now they get treated with uh, a, a copper or brass brush and they last a very long time very accurately. It's all in the I think it's all in the practice and sure. There's so many voodoo's. With that yeah. in people's heads, yeah, yeah. exactly. But um, I, I would throw in the co- the the brush in there uh, with you with your system, and then I would always do bore butter. Um, and that was with the Thompson Center pre-made, mm. you know, soapy solution, yeah, white bottle, yellow yep. label. After Blackhorn, I read on their site, I think you know you can use just a standard rifle centerfire rifle solvent. So I would use Hoppies. Uh, I think I still would throw a brush in there. It's been a long time since I've used it. I now run a smokeless muzzle loader. Thank you, Nebraska, for that. Mm-hmm. If you're listening, let's keep that going. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I think I went 12 shots one time with Blackhorn and didn't have to clean it. It was still accurate. Wow. So, that's pretty cool. It uh, is pretty. I did 14. It was my longest streak. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. And you don't you don't have to be as fast about cleaning it as you would with something else yeah with triple seven or with the pellets or white hots or i mean it's yeah you know sometimes three four five shots and that needs cleaned out or like within the day yeah 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 well but, and they're corrosive so they're yep or i don't know if corrosive is the right word but they're, they're gonna attack your barrel if you're not careful i'd yep. say i'd probably do mine's all group related it's probably not ever more than 10 but if i'm going out to the range i'll shoot my one or two fowlers Shoot a three-shot group if I need adjustment, make an adjustment, shoot potentially another three-shot group, and then just because it's what you do, 
now I'm going to clean. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've never really Pushed tested. It. Yeah. I'm more particular on after cleaning of, I think I said in the antelope uh, podcast that whether it's factual or just in my mind, I like two shots. I like to hunt with two shots on my muzzleloader. So sure. my well, that might hunting be what shot would be my liked. third shot. So, But yeah. you bring up a good point about fouling though. Like I, I think when I first got introduced to Blackhorn, I, I called in and just talked to him back when it was just Western powders. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, you know, make, you do need to clean it just like you would with a, with a regular black powder or substitute. But if you want to foul it with a primer or two, mm-hmm. that can almost act as a replacement for a fouling shot. So that's what I did. And consequently, I'm going to chalk it up to that. Uh, me and Matt Ritchie's been on the podcast, went hunting three or four years ago, and I forgot to foul it before I loaded it. And we were at the spot late enough where I didn't really want to do a true fouler at that point. So I said, okay. We're going. I'll just take close shots. I missed a pretty darn nice buck, and he he'll remind me of it from time to time. <laughs> at seventy five yards, no. proned out with uh, a bipod, uh, and I I think I guess I don't know. I'll chalk it up to fouling or a lack yeah. of it. I don't know. I That's one it. of the voodoo's. Yeah, yeah. I've seen more and more. I shoot. I'm on Judd's philosophy of almost on the two shot fowler because I will see even on a clean barrel with a primer file. At least I, I see moisture stay in that flash hole in a, in a breech plug. If you clean a breech plug and don't shoot it with air, make sure that thing's dried out and you put it back together and close it up on a break action gun, that moisture will probably stay in there longer than you want it to. That primer is a good way to blow any moisture out of there. But yeah, so primer file and then a shot. Okay, that's my fowler. And then for the next two shots, I'm still seeing muzzle velocity creep up back to where it should be. Dang. On certain guns. So that oh. takes like three shots to get back. Okay, that's my, I'll call it static muzzle velocity with the mm-hmm. with the same charge. So that kind of, for my personal use, yeah, I'm going to go probably two shots. That's two, interesting. Two yeah. Judd, real quick, before we get too far down the line, what was your introduction to muzzle loading? When did you jump on the muzzle loader train? <laughs> I I honestly don't remember when it was, but I can remember. I was young enough that, I can't remember, I think I was still in high school because I wasn't 18 and even to buy the muzzle loader, I had to talk my mom into <laughs> buying this muzzle loader for me. I, I I can't remember if I paid or at that time my folks paid, I, I don't quite know, but I remember she was all kind of weirded out about buying it because she didn't really know what a muzzle loader was. And right. at the time, honestly, I probably didn't either. Like I said, I went through one muzzle loader <laughs> to, to it figure out. it out, but. She ordered it, and we talked about this before, too, but the, my primary reason of getting into the muzzleloader game is in Nebraska, it's a whole month of hunting versus days. the nine-day rifle season. So that was my big draw to to getting into it. So, yeah, we ordered a standard break-action muzzleloader and some accessories and just watching YouTube and hunting shows and <laughs> Somewhat figured out how to do it, and at that point, yeah, I was a volume wear shooting Pyrodex, and uh, I think I shot XTPs is what I shot, and basically the reason there is I walked into the store, and they were the cheapest thing there, so I bought yep. uh, XTPs, and 
240 sure. XTPs in the green yeah. Sabo and a 50 cal is the hammer though. Yeah, yeah they were awesome. Those are, those are awesome. And anyway, I, it took me a handful of years before I finally sealed the deal with that muzzle loader, and I I got a doe one late season in the snow with the 240 XTP. So, and then since then, uh, I've switched muzzle loaders. I did the antelope muzzle loader hunt that was in September, and uh, shot one or two other deer here in December in Nebraska. Shot a dandy buck. Yeah, in Nebraska. Yeah, yeah, that was the year of the muzzleloader when I shot the antelope and, the, and yeah. that buck. So Last yeah, day that, of the season can't hold anything back. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I mean, probably one of the more dandier yeah. bucks you've nice. shot for sure in Nebraska. Yeah. Anyway, well, I don't. Yeah, to go off on a tangent here though, too, you could say that you know you hear other podcasts and people talk about you know, hey, if you had one day to kill a deer, you know, we'll give you one day. When's it gonna be? A lot of people say, what's the last? What state am I in? And what's the last day of the yeah. season? If it's the last day of the season, December 31st, when I shot mine, I'm sitting over a cornfield in the snow. If it's super cold, you're going to see deer. So, yeah. And that's the way that worked out for me. Is huh. I had a field full of deer. So that, awesome. And that was your typical, like if you close your eyes and picture an eight-point white-tailed deer, <laughs> that's that deer. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Good-looking buck. It was pretty cool. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. But yeah, anyway, I, that was back in high school, but the biggest draw was the, the length of season. The length so, of the season. Yeah, and since then I've kind of fine-tuned a, a few things. Uh, no longer shooting the the Sabo or the Sabbath, shooting the board drivers. So I don't, I don't know if that's something we could dive into there. But is there, a, you know, what makes the accuracy difference, or is there an accuracy difference? Because I'd say the board driver I'm shooting, they shoot good out of my mm-hmm. muzzleloader, so yeah. that's why I'm shooting them. And they're the new hot yeah. thing. So yeah. Bef- before you answer that, I want to give a because this will this will lend itself we were talking about how some guns are a little picky on on how many shots are on them to get stable and to get accurate and get clean and i think ryan's going to answer your question judd and i think uh, before he does it's important to note that there is no standard dimension on barrel diameters uh with a muzzleloader you know if you if you pick a 6.5 creedmoor 30-06 or any other centerfire cartridge you go to sammy.org you can look at the dimensions that that barrel has and its tolerances and the conforming members, which are all the gun builders, and you know they're going to make it to that dimension. And with a muzzleloader, it doesn't exist. So you mm-hmm. have bore dimensions that are variable, and that creates some of the nuance. With you got to shoot two or three shots before it's accurate, or you got to clean it this many times, or whatever. But I would like to hear Ryan answer your question because that's you know I don't think a lot of people fully understand a sabot. And the board driver and the differences in, in accuracy that you're seeing. Sure. Yeah, there's a bunch of reasons I like to credit for the accuracy of that. Uh, so, like you mentioned, board diameter variation. So, from the bullet design standpoint, you got to make some system that's going to seal up. It's going to give you a good gas seal and ideally engrave, and you're going to get that bullet spun up consistently every time to whatever twist rate your barrel is. A lot of times it's 28, one in one twist and 28 inches, your, your standard factory muzzleloaders. So in order to get that seal, you need something on the back end or wrapped around that bullet. So traditional Sabo, that's, that's the ticket there. It seals, it fills the bore, and then you can put a whole wide variety of bullets in there. Uh, and we have a lot of good drawn jacketed bullets to fit that purpose. In some states and areas, that's not legal for hunting got to have a non-sabo projectile. So there's a hang up there. That's one reason, okay, we need 
something to offer there. Part of the reason we went with to down the board driver path. And uh it is a purpose built muzzleloader bullet, so and it's bore diameter. And then you start looking at comparables on the market. A lot of them are plated lead. Okay, that's like, there's a lot of issues with that because the way those are manufactured and multiple different processes, they're handled a bunch of different times. Made on a header, they're washed and then plated, and then they got to be fed back into a machine and put a tip in and swedged up, and all those processes create variables. And the biggest thing is roundness and the concentricity of that center of mass to the outside of that part and how it seals up and engraves consistently. So we shoot a ton of these board drivers out of a ton of different guns. They always seem to shoot pretty dang good. I mean, I can't find a really gun that's like, oh yeah, they just they don't shoot well out of that. Seems very forgiving because of the redundancy we have in the design on the skirt. It's, it seems to always seal up well. It always twists up and spins up well. And right off the press, that projectile's finished. You have a very concentric outside wall as the jacket. We make those similar process to any other match rifle bullet we make. We can draw a really good jacket. We've proven that a long time ago, and we know how to do that pretty well. So we can apply that to muzzleloaders. You just, the biggest, so kind of rambling here, but the biggest thing I think is it's a drawn jacketed bullet, and it's bore diameter. That's not a Sabo. So how do you get that to happen? That's where the skirt, the whole skirt concept came into play. You have enough interference there where you can seal up and that your bullet's not going to fall out the muzzle when you're carrying it around in the field. Uh, yet it's got to be loose enough where you can load it with reasonable force. So, I don't know if that answer your question. Well, it's just rambling well, there. It made me think of another one. So, if we want to talk about terminal performance, what's the difference between the plated bullets and an actual drawn, jacketed projectile? Yeah, or to... To extend on that, so like exactly what Judge had said, but also why is the bore driver specifically? You said it was purpose built for muzzleloader. Yeah. Well, how does that compare to other bullets that are drawn jacketed, like our you know SST, for example? Right. So for our bullet to work, we rely on that thing to obturate, to swell out, and fit that bore diameter and, and engrave. That's part of the one of the several components that help that thing spin up. In order that to happen, you need your material needs to be somewhat soft and pliable. I mean, it doesn't apply, but you can kind of wrap your mind around that concept where it's going to get a ton of pressure smacked on the back end. Okay, it's going to swell out. So in order to do that reliably, the jacket's thinner than, say, our SSTs or FTXs, where those are originally built for rifle cartridges. They aren't muzzleloader bullets they don't need to worry about them obturating they're in a rifled barrel not loaded from the muzzle so and those have a lot more characteristics built in the jacket but there's some trade-offs uh to get this whole process to work and that's why these are a thinner jacket but yet they're way thicker than a plated bullet so on a plated bullet you're like two or four thou thick plating on pure paper lead thin. literally yeah, paper less thin. yeah or less uh and we're probably four or five times that thickness on a drawn jacket for those board drivers, like 15, 20 thou thick. So that adds a lot of integrity to the jacket upon impact on a medium, mm. whether it be ballistics gel and, or a game animal. Uh, yeah, the, ins the core is still pure lead, and that has 
part of the reason is how we form the base to accept the the base of that projectile to accept the skirt, the post on that skirt. The manufacturing process behind that pure lead just lends itself better than a harder alloy lead. But the jacket supports that lead so much better than just having a thin plating around a pure lead slug. Because those things, I mean, they squash to nothing. When you see pictures of recovered bullets, yeah, they, they're heavy and they deliver a lot of energy, so they work well. But If you're shooting an elk or bigger game... Or hit like shoulder to, blade you'd or something. like to have more penetration, yeah. You got yeah. an interlock on the board driver, correct? Correct, yeah. Yeah. That, and that, yes. Drawing that jacket, the traditional way we do, allows us to put some features in thickness profiles and interlocks and things like that, rather than making a lead slug, a cold-headed lead slug, and then having to have it plated. It opens up more opportunities for on a design standpoint when we have a drawn jacket. Well, last year, Judd, you shot a Mamba Jamba in Illinois with the board driver. What was that experience like? Yeah, yeah, that was. I was going to cool. bring that up, that and then you shot video. one in Kansas. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was a pretty neat deal. I got the the chance to go out to Illinois and hunt whitetail on. Uh, Not that Illinois is known for big whitetail yeah. or anything. And I was on uh, the the dream mecca of whitetail properties. It was it was pretty pretty surreal. Kind of neat to just even sit and think back now about that place. It's it's pretty cool. Uh, that was actually with Greg Ritz, and man, he did he, everything <laughs> you could do to that piece of ground. It is beautiful. He knows like, a thing or two about a thing or two yeah, for whitetail property. I drooled the entire time I was out there. So, yeah, anyway, uh, we were out there and saw all kinds of deer and had a buck that I was after, you know, he's got trail cam pictures of all of them. And there was a couple of them hanging around in the area he sent me to. And the one popped out and uh, it ended up walking straight at us. And it ended up being like a 30 yard shot. And by that time, it, it was the biggest deer I've had the chance of shooting <laughs> so far in my life. And it kind of picked us off because I'm shaking in the tree stand the whole trees yeah the leaves are falling yeah 30 yards away so it kind of picks us off and it's kind of checking us out so it's quartered pretty hard to us and at 30 yards shooting the jacketed heavy bore driver i i didn't think twice i put it just right in the chest and he dozed to the ground instantly and maybe just ran downhill 30 yards and piled up so yeah it was pretty cool and you can see the it was actually on camera on video and in slow-mo, that bullet hits him, and his whole body just mm -hmm. soaks up the energy. Yeah. It, was, it was pretty stinking and, cool. And you were able to find that bullet, right? Yeah, I've got it at my desk, yeah. which is pretty stinking cool. It still had it, held its integrity. It expanded, you know, quite a dang bit. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it still held yards. it. yards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was some energy. I'm trying to think, that was with the Traditions muzzle loader. I don't think I was shooting 80 grains. 74 Seven grains of weight. It was something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't remember what, it, something like that, but yeah. So there, there was some energy behind that did sucker. You, did you ever oh, yeah. weigh that re uh, recovered projectile? I did, but you're going to put me on the spot here. I can't quite I remember had to. what I it forgot is. about it. Yeah, yeah, I honestly <laughs> did too until you said that. Yeah, Greg actually found that when we were uh, going through it, but yeah, that was pretty cool. So yeah, 30 yards right to the shoulder toast hammered yeah. him well yeah, yeah. And, and what people have to realize if you haven't seen the video it's a hard quarter like kind of yeah. inside yeah, of the shoulder blade i would say yeah. and so it's n 
totally expected that that you would find that because it had to go the length yeah. of the deer yeah to exit well and to juxtapose that with a plated bullet like we've been talking about you get that shot opportunity and you get a bullet with no jacket integrity with no jacket to speak of no interlock ring just soft lead and you plant one square on the shoulder or the point of the shoulder at almost muzzle velocity you might not get the penetration and matter of fact i shot a plated bullet into gel this is back when i was in ballistics we were doing we were just wanting to see comparatively what these bullets looked like to our at the time uh r&d project as it turned out to be the board driver so we were going to shoot them at muzzle velocity uh at a adjusted 100 yard impact and like a 200 yard impact well the muzzle velocity shot went 10 yards downrange, hit the gel and then came back out of the gel about the diameter of a 50 cent piece and hit me in the leg. Oh my goodness. Ryan Damon yeah. was there to verify. Yeah, it was what, crazy. What was your reaction? Oh, I'm hit, man down, <laughs> black hawk down. Uh, no, Yikes. I mean, it just, it felt like somebody, you know, tapped me or threw a 50 cent piece at my leg. Cause that's basically what it was, uh, but that wasn't a hot rod, you know, we're juiced it up with something that was a 80 grains of weight. So 100 grains of volume charge, a Blackhorn 209, and a 26-inch muzzleloader. So um, that just, you know, opened my eyes to, wow, they're, you know, to truly put a drawn jacket on a bullet with a thickness and a tip set up in such a way that it is going to expand but going to be a controlled expansion, critical for a muzzleloader bullet. Accuracy aside, the terminal performance is what we're all out there for, and that was uh, yeah, pretty eye-opening for me. And uh, I saw the video that, or uh, have seen the video that Judd shot, and that I mean, it's a mature deer. So there's you know, and it's yeah. it was later in the season, so this thing's all fed up, huge, and then just the ripple of his body and the skin is, yeah, that was that was pretty stinking cool. But yeah, a testament to that bullet, you know, mm-hmm. I had. I'd, I'd felt like at the time, and I mean, he knew we were there at that point. He was head up looking at us. So I, at the time, I kind of just felt like this is this, this is, is my chance, or he's gone. So put it just left to center line because he was slightly quartered the opposite way, and yeah, toasted him. That's what I like to hear. Well, my personal experience with muzzleloaders. Yeah, we always save you for last. I guess, I, and not that I. This is going to be pretty short because growing up. Uh, Dad had a Thompson Center Encore, really, really nice one. He had some barrels for it, but he had a muzzleloader barrel for it and, and nice wood stock. And uh, he he hunted with it a couple of times, few years, and then uh, he got out of muzzleloading and rifle hunting altogether and was strictly an archery hunter, just basically enjoying his time in the stand, looking for the biggest, most mature bucks he could with the bow and, and hung up the, the rifle and the, the muzzleloader. So growing up, I really had no muzzleloader experience other than I was around it. And then, you know, you get a job here at Hornady and I learned quite a bit about it, but never really did anything with it. And, uh, you know, would go out to the range with Preston getting ready for season and, and he would shoot his and I'd shoot it a couple times. But really that was where it ended because I, I, I just didn't have, uh, I had these precision rifles that I could shoot really far away and really accurate with. It seemed odd to me to spend money on a muzzle loader that was you know that best a minute of angle at the time right so didn't do much to it well i had the opportunity last year to use the board driver ftx in a hunt and i took 
uh, a company-owned muzzleloader. It's $200, purchased at the Walmart, uh, 24-inch barrel. I think it was the Pursuit? No. Buckstalker. Buck oh, the Buckstalker. Okay. And, uh, yeah, basically learned everything you guys just talked about last year. Uh, you know, we did a little video series on it uh, and condensed it down into a short video to include the hunt, which is on our YouTube channel if you want to check that out. But um, got the rifle in, uh, put a scope on it, uh, loophole VX Freedom 3 to 9, and uh, got to shooting the board driver FTX with Blackhorn 209. We weighed out those charges at 75 grains. And it shot minute of angle or better from the word go. Mm -hmm. Just incredible. Shooting groups six, seven, eight tenths of an inch at 100 yards for three shots, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, my cleaning schedule, regiment, whatever, was uh, three three-shot groups was as many as I would shoot. So nine shots, maybe 10 if I shot a Fowler. And then I'd clean it. And the way I cleaned it was we had these, and we still have them, uh, in one of our laboratories we have pre-soaked patches and they're from thompson center thompson center brand pre-soaked patches just shove those through wet until they come out clean and uh run a couple dry patches through it that's all i did and it worked really well i shot the snot out of that muzzleloader leading up to the hunt and uh i tried the primer fouling and noticed the groups would open up my first group would be larger than expected nothing crazy but it would be inch and a half to two inches uh then i tried a true fouling shot and yeah groups would be less than that and i wasn't doing huge shot samples but i noticed this trend so uh going on the hunt i always went with a shot muzzle loader uh, shoot it either the day before put it away dirty and then hunt with that dirty muzzle loader clean it when i got home uh, but for me that's that's the way i did it and then uh yeah i put it away after the december hunt we killed this beautiful whitetail i mean you guys all saw the video it's on youtube if you want to check it out but a stud 140 inch and change kansas whitetail came out 102 yards perfectly broadside it stopped to look up you know to for a for a photogenic moment here <laughs> and caught a 290 grain board driver ftx right behind the shoulder both lungs both lungs it made it to the tree line, and then we thought it went a long ways, but it, it did not. Uh, we thought it went a long ways because there was a pretty long duration from when it entered the tree line to when we heard a crash. But it had to have just stood there and then crashed because it went 20 yards to the tree line and 20 yards into the trees and uh, piled up there, which was great to see. And then we had a unique opportunity to clean this animal i thought what was cool about that one too and i'm sorry if i'm stepping on your toes you're but not i'm talking too much <laughs> most muzzleloader kill shots i've seen or, or you know terminal performance has that that bullet expanding rapidly and never right. exiting which some people may like but personally i like it to dump a lot of energy but if i can get an exit that's cool too especially on a muzzleloader if i'm sure. going you know soft tissue behind the ribs for really no chance for any ner central nervous system activity uh a blood trail is awesome and you got an entry and an exit on that on that yeah. shot i was there i'm not partial to that video at all on youtube but if you search kansas board driver <laughs> whitetail hunt i might have shot and edited that yeah <laughs> well what was unique though what i was gonna say was we got to take that back to a shop that had a electric hoist and we didn't quarter that thing up and carry it out we 
very meticulously skinned, cleaned, and and got the meat off of that thing. And so we got to look at, you know, really kind of do a dissection on the terminal performance. And like Preston mentioned, it hit, it expanded rapidly, liquefied lung tissue, and then still had enough steam to get out that other side with a with a nice exit wound. So I uh, was really impressed there. Uh, came home from that hunt, cleaned the muzzle loader just like I always did with those pre-saturated Thompson Center patches. And then I sprayed a patch down with some Hornady one-shot uh, gun cleaner and lube and ran a couple patches of that down through. And it sat in the safe until a week ago. I think you guys might have it out here playing with it now for some uh, Black Ops projects that you're working on. Black Ops, maybe not necessarily, but we did a whole podcast on pronghorn, but yeah. tomorrow we're leaving. Yeah. Going on a Nebraska antelope muzzleloader hunt. Yeah. what I don't know what yeah. episode, but uh, I was going to mention it earlier. Judd was talking about some of his experience, and he mentioned that podcast. If you haven't, check out the Preseason Pronghorns podcast a few episodes back, and Judd outlines his really awesome public land Nebraska hunt, and you guys are headed there, Minyana. We've already had a trigger pulled since we, that podcast. That's true. We yeah, got to kill it. We got to save that. Oh, we're going to do a whole other episode. Right? Pronghorn, sorry, but sorry. Ryan, Ryan, you may have got a nice antelope. Yeah, he's we'll okay. leave it at that. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you guys are out tomorrow. Um, walk us through what you guys are taking on the hunt. You know, it's uh, it's mid mid September. It's still pretty warm, but we got the fever. What are you guys taking? Uh, so we're doing like a. Back in the day when I bow hunted out in this area, this is like the introduction to Western hunting out there. You can kind of, there's space, wide open spaces you can see a long ways. Do the, I like to do the truck, trunk, truck camping thing out there. Uh, it's going to be fun because you can just low stress, very high confidence. We're going to see antelope. I hope. I sure <laughs> hope. I don't have too much confidence, but being out there before, you're probably going to see him. Mule deer, you can't say the same thing about, but. I'm taking my my uh, in personal inline, tried and true, with a a new bullet. I I changed Skunk it up a little works. bit, but Skunk little, Works bullet, a little Black Ops action there. R and D project, R and D project. I'm pretty excited about. We just got some very recently here, so perfect timing. Yeah, perfect. and I'm I'm sour about it because I have the board driver group cut up hanging in my office and it might have got beat by the sounds of it yeah so, judd's um, got the tightest group shot by a muzzleloader that's outdoors. hanging on the wall in that our was shot outside on that's his in the <laughs> on, a, on a thursday <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh, but but this this new bullet uh can't talk about it yet but uh yeah you know some people in our you know maybe in our upper echelons of management uh get kind of weirded out we talk about like some stuff that's un, in the works yeah. uh reality is we're a bullet company we're an ammo company. We're a company of innovators and mm-hmm. we're innovating and we're never going to stop. So it's exciting. See, what are you taking for what's your muzzleloader setup look like? I got a Vortex Viper two and a half to 10. Perfect. First scope, BDC reticle. Mm-hmm. And just so happened that that reticle works out with that, this load I'm using really well as far as easy yeah. to remember ranges at and drop at uh, on for the reticle on the hash marks. Cheap bipod and a sling. Excellent. I'm taking my the rest of my kit just looks like I'm going hunting anything else. Shooting Blackhorn two oh nine. Eighty two grains weight, Blackhorn mm-hmm. two oh nine. Bumped it up a little bit from last year from the seventy five. So not max, 
but almost. 84 grains is max. Little, little Don't forget it. little safety budget there. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Well, I hope you can get it done. Now, probably a podcast in and of itself, so we won't dive into it too much, but uh, Preston, just tell the listeners what's your take. I'm, I'm a little undecided. I'm taking muzzleloader, a muzzleloader. I'm, depending on how Ryan's goes, Ryan's up first. He's, he's up to the bat. Hit, he's he's leading lead off. I did not know this. We talked about it in the last podcast. Are you crazy? <laughs> he's already got one down. That's true. Oh, yeah. that's true. But anyway, okay. I'm willing you to You guys got five, six hours, whatever, to figure it out. Yeah. I feel like Ryan can be first up to bat. I'll get in there, clean up. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll see how his goes and how the antelope are and how far away and how close we can get in the terrain features, but I'm taking my smokeless. Yep. Now, uh, I went ahead and did some verification on it last night. I got a little range. And I was pleasantly surprised. I shot at 414 yards, uh, then 500, did a little zero adjustment, and went ahead at my farthest target at 686 yards and smacked her dead center. Yeah. I couldn't be more happy with it, quite honestly. Yeah. Well, and we all got to enjoy that. You sent the videos around all excited, getting to use the new MagView system on the spotter, so you had the, had the videos. Sweet. Like, literally just lined it up slowly, boop. There it is. Yep. And, uh, yeah, you did center punch that target. So if you get within one half mile of an antelope, there's a chance that you'll be able to put the so, creep on them so and lay them down. There's a chance. Yeah. But I, I would like to do a little skunk work stuff if everything works out. If not, we'll have mine as a backup. Uh, we're not in that game yet, but hopefully someday we will be. But I'm also taking camera equipment and stuff like that. So I'm going to have a full pack. Yeah. Ryan, you might have to carry my antelope for me. Hey, guys. We can do it. I'm going to just throw this out there since we're all gathered as friends. J- Judd hadn't said it yet, but make sure you got enough water. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and take some cheeseburgers. <laughs> we will be having cheeseburgers, I have no doubt. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to yeah. uh, to hear how this hunt goes. I wish I could go with you guys because there's nothing funner than running out west and just playing around and, and spotting and stalking some animals. You know, hopefully you do get a cheeseburger in. Uh, hopefully you, you take enough water and you can find some, some good goats to lay down. Cause that's, uh, you know, it's, it's that time of year. Yep. It's go time. Looking forward to it. But yeah, we kind of got off track there, but muzzleloaders. This yeah. podcast about muzzleloaders. I did want to throw some stats out there, or a stat out there. Hit us. Uh, ancillary to the podcast. Uh, 27% of viewers on our YouTube channel are not subscribed. If you Blasphemy. Like, if you like watching our stuff and maybe you're slightly entertained and maybe learn a thing or two from time to time, do us a favor. Hit subscribe. That'd be great. That would be great. Yes, got to pump those numbers. Yeah, we we got rookie numbers right now. We got to pump those up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, awesome. Well, guys, I hope you guys have a, a great rest of the season. Judd, you got any muzzleloader hunts in the works you thinking about doing anything what's going on this year you got a big year yeah december might be my <laughs> month to hunt because uh a wedding and a house remodel and everything else is taking this early season uh taking all the time so yeah i think december with the muzzle loader and uh the board driver ftx that might be the time to get it done. might be the time to get it done i'll tell you when not the time is october uh when you're getting married <laughs> yeah. uh i've been uh, doing a lot of cardio getting ready for my hunting season uh, and also preparing for the amount of polka dancing I'm going to do at your <laughs> wedding. Uh, but uh, uh, in seriousness, guys, Preston mentioned he does have a full pack. This ha- this hunt that they're going on uh, here, leaving tomorrow, 
going to film it. So hopefully uh, that footage will be available. You know, if we can get that edited into a video or something, be really cool for our listeners and our, our viewing base of the podcast to be able to see that full circle, to hear about what we're talking about now, to hear, you know, if that skunk work project comes to life and then be able to see, you know, the first antelope taken with it be pretty, pretty cool. Yep. We'll give, we'll give it a shot. I wanted to reiterate this, our trip this weekend, it's all public land, the the obligatory DIY, do it yourself. Oh, yeah, ultralight, backcountry. You know, we're doing all that. Yeah, well, and that's been an important note is, yeah, we, you know, we blend a lot of personal hunts and, and industry type stuff together, but this is sure. a personal hunt that you guys have waited a long time for, five years? Five years. I, I actually waited six because I had an antelope yeah. hunt last year that I could barely go on for time constraints, but so yeah. I'm six, you're at five. Yep. It takes a long time to draw this tag. Mm, beautiful. Excellent. Well, is there anything else from a muzzleloading standpoint that you guys uh, uh, want to touch on or mention uh, that might help our listeners out? I, I have one anecdote. Uh, I remember hearing this uh, when I was in tech, uh, somebody pouring, uh, I think it was Windex or some sort of cleaning solvent, uh, commercial grade cleaning solvent into their toilet. And then they place the muzzle of their muzzleloader in the toilet, get the cleaning rod out, and then they just yep. scrub back and forth in the toilet, flush her down, patch it out. Depending on the state of that toilet, that might not be that bad of an idea. Uh, I would say just to, to wrap it up, I guess, if you've ever thought about muzzleloading, it, it's honestly, it, it's pretty enjoyable. It Check is. it out. Check out your state's regulations. They're all different, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, we all have different, uh, you know, you have your bore size has to be this big. You have to shoot a bullet this big. You can't use a sabo here. You have to use open sights here. Just checking them out. But it's it's pretty enjoyable, and in our case, we get a we get a long season. Yeah, it really opens up a lot of season opportunities for sure. I'll open, add one more thing as well. On that note, if you're even early in muzzleloading or just thinking about getting into it, in the process of working up a load, make sure you when you're reading load data because there's a ton of it out there. Uh, make sure you know whether they're talking about volume or weight. Very different things when yep. you're either weighing it out or you're measuring it volumetrically. That's just for safety's sake. Yeah, you, gotta, you don't want to take one of these apart. A lot of people in the Super Magnum 150 grain charges, well, that what does that mean? Well, most of the time they're talking volume, but you just need to make sure that you know what you're doing before you mm-hmm. shove yeah, you something in a barrel and pull a trigger. 150 grains of weight into a muzzleloader that's designed for 150 by volume, not going to be good. No. Judd, anything yeah. for, the, for the group here before we sign off? No, I don't think I do. Awesome. Good luck. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. You have a good time. Yeah. Yep. Well, and I think my last thing, I hear this every year in the office. We all do. Oh, man, I hope I shot that muzzleloader last year when I, before I put it away. <laughs> end of the season, end of the hunt, find a safe place, discharge the muzzleloader, push it out the back, do what you got to do. Don't store your muzzleloaders loaded because uh, that, mm. that'll be a quick way to throw that muzzleloader away. I'm sorry to say it. I'm sorry to keep this podcast going, but there's a guy in my hometown by the name of Dan. I'll leave his last name out. Has four and a half fingers on one of his hands because of that. Okay. Noted. Double charged one, huh? No. Left it loaded. Forgot he left it loaded. Oh, boy. Yep. Yikes. Yikes. Awesome. Well, yeah. Be safe out there, boys and girls. And uh, we hope you found this educational. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you get into muzzle loading if you haven't. And uh, we appreciate you listening. And we'll catch you on the next one.